Welcome to Global Talks by Paw of Life, a podcast about redefining healthcare through a global perspective, allowing you to become informed and involved. In each episode, we deliver the best hard-hitting analysis and discussion of what is currently impacting the healthcare landscape with guests from a variety of industries. Now, here's your host, Pavan Lohia. Today, we're going to be discussing the urgent need for medical supplies for our frontline healthcare workers fighting the COVID-19 outbreak. I have with me the game changers who are leading the way in helping provide these supplies for our frontline healthcare workers right now. Thank you and welcome to the show. I have Nick DiGirolamo, Amir Hassan, and Dr. Mark Schulzel. Thank you for joining us, gentlemen. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us. So thank you for having us. Of course. So I'm so glad you guys could join uh, me today and discuss um, everything you guys are involved in. Um, I know all three of you attend the University of California, San Diego Rady School of Management. Um, I I wanted to know a little more um, what brought all three of you into healthcare, and I'll start with you, Dr. Schultzel. I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I specialize in shoulder and elbow surgery, and I'm the super specialist for shoulder surgery for the Sharp Healthcare System. Um, I I came to UCSD for college, and I stayed for medical school, and I fell in love with the city, so I ended up uh, deciding to come back to town to practice medicine. Oh, wow. And uh, you also currently serve as uh, the student board president uh, at the school too, right? Correct. Yes. I'm in the flexible weekend program and I'm the uh, the class president for the Rady student board currently. Awesome. Um, how about yourself, Nick? Um, I'm, so I'm actually not in the healthcare field. I have a project management background. But um, with this um, global crisis, I felt like I could uh, have an impact on this uh, cause with um, the supply chain. Of course. It's much needed right now. And, you know, I think a combination of all skills um, between healthcare, business, and uh, converging all those is extremely important. And last but not least, uh, Mr. Amir, um, what brought you into healthcare? Yeah, so I, I just graduated from the University of California, Irvine, back in the spring of uh, 2019. Uh, my degree was in human bio, and um, I've been in you know the healthcare sector, working in hospitals and in some clinics. Um, right now, I'm getting my MBA, just like you alluded to, at the Rady School of Management, um, hoping to further my career and my educational career and uh, going into medical school. and. Uh, going from there. Awesome. Oh, that's really good to hear. And, you know, combining your expertise and biology and business are a great way to go, especially into medicine. So as we all know, we're dealing with a global crisis of COVID-19 right now. Um, and I know all three of you are doing amazing work um, and helping frontline healthcare workers. Uh, but just before we get into it, um, I wanted to know um, your take on the impacts that this has had, um, not only on uh, businesses across the country, but even our national economy, and what impacts that brings upon these people. So if, Nick, if you want to start with how you feel. To me, this uh, this entire thing's been very eye-opening. The reaction um, 
that people, obviously, the I would say the evolution of the reaction people have had has been pretty incredible. Um, started out where um, the uncertainty of uh, what the impacts would actually be was not clear. And now that we're starting to see a little more of the impact on the global economy, I think it's really important that, um, like you said, we gather people from different uh, backgrounds to help out in the effort. Absolutely. And uh, uh, Dr. Mark, I, I wanted to ask, so you've definitely had experience as a physician and now you're um, experiencing the business side of it as well. Have you seen that affect, you know, um, working, you know, being in a hospital or clinic? Yeah, certainly. Um, for me, I'm actually a private practice physician, so uh, it has taken a big toll on my practice. We furloughed most of my staff, and um, we've gone down to working um, nearly completely telehealth except for emergencies. I know that there's many practices that have completely shuttered their practice except for emergency cases, and um, you know, most surgeries have been shut down unless they're uh, life or limb. Um, my twin brother is actually a colorectal and robotic general surgeon here in town as well. And so he still is operating, but he's mostly doing um, colon cancer cases or, you know, appendectomies on call, things that patients absolutely must have. But, you know, it isn't without great risk to, you know, the surgeon, all the staff and the patient as well. Of course. And have you, have you personally or even your brother or anyone you may have known, have you had any issues recently with obtaining personal protective equipment or other important medical supplies? Uh, absolutely. Um, in a couple of the health systems that I work in, they had run out of PPE. And um, even in some of the health systems, some of the nurses were told that they were not allowed to uh, bring their own in. Um, that recently has changed. So I think now Kaiser Permanente is allowing their nurses and doctors to bring in any PPE they'd like. Um, Sharp, Scripps, UCSD, all the other ones in our community have been uh, more permissive from the start about PPE. Um, but we've we've definitely seen that we're lacking it. I, I know that there's a lot of doctors, um, both here in San Diego and my friends around the country, that are reusing their masks, uh, washing yeah, and sterilizing gowns and, and face shields and things of that nature. Right. And uh, I'm sure you've seen the headlines recently, you know, healthcare workers either being reprimanded for not using uh, their PPE effectively or not reusing it or, you know, it, it's a very concerning thing. And, you know, ultimately, it, it's going to impact how this disease progresses and impacts more people. So I, I really hope we're able to fix these issues in a, a uh, in a more appropriate manner than the current response we've had. And yeah, I mean, which, ab absolutely. I think, you know, California has been able to flatten the curve much better than other states. Um, and I think that as a country, we've been well prepared. But I think just like anything in life, even if you think about disasters, um, you're never really prepared for it until you've experienced it. And so I think, you know, looking at it from an outside perspective, we were watching other countries go through this and realizing it was going to be bad, but I think you never understand how bad it is until you have to live through it. Of course. And I, I mean, I think this begs the question is, have we just not prioritized the need for this type of equipment prior? I mean, there were reports that, you know, even places like New York, you know, had the opportunity to have extra ventilators and whatnot, but they simply refused to. And now you have a system where you have 50 states, you know, uh, having bidding wars to get these supplies to people who are desperately in need. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Nick um, can also speak to this as well, and, and Amir as well. But you know, we we learn in business school a lot about supply chain, and there is always a great cost to holding inventory. And so I think nobody could have predicted that there was going to be this sudden need. And so when everything is fine, you try to keep your inventory costs low and purchase what you anticipate you're going to need. And I think that it's probably outside of the realm of possibility that anyone could have predicted the need for this many ventilators so suddenly or this many hospital beds. Um, but you know, part of supply chain economics in any industrialized nation is try to keep your inventory cost low. And a lot of this is um, you know, just in time delivery for for goods, which is kind of the way that the world runs. Yeah, of course. No, and I, I think especially, you know, uh, c- coming from a public health background myself, you know, I think converging uh, public health and uh, supply chain is going to be crucial, especially what we learned from this for years and if not decades to come. And which brings me to uh, you, Amir. I, you know, I, I know you're involved in um, business as well. And I wanted to know, you know, what have you seen? Um, wh- what type of impacts have you seen that take upon upon your businesses? Yeah, so my family is involved in the gas and oil business. We own and operate over 100 uh, Chevron gas stations across Southern and Northern California. And it's immensely impact our business in terms of volume. Um, You know, we're still open, our doors are open because we are an essential business and we're doing everything we can to help, you know, limit the transmission of COVID-19. Um, But just as Dr. Schultz had to go through, we had to furlough a lot of our staff. Um, We sent all of our staff from our headquarters um, and our offices home. Um, We're limiting limiting each gas station to one cashier. Um, And then each cashier is wearing gloves and and a mask. And we're also requiring them to clean and disinfect any high-touch surfaces at least least once an hour. Um, So it's, you know, dramatically changed our operation and reduced our volume a lot, but we're, we're not complaining about the reduction in volume. We understand everybody needs to be at home, you know, absolutely. everybody needs to obey these stay stay at home, you know, actions that their government, the governors and their states are taking. So that's fine. You especially, you know, have a very unique business because, you know, Gas stations obviously serve a vital need for transportation, but you know also uh, convenience stores in many areas that are underprivileged and whatnot. Did you experience any of that? You know, especially with the concerns of price gouging or you know limited supply of many essential needs. You know, your average con- gas gas station convenience store has quite a lot of uh, stuff that people use on a day to day basis. So I'm curious to know. You know. Was there a surge in, you know, traffic to purchase some of these much needed essentials? Oh, no, definitely. I mean, our our stores sell anything from, you know, snacks and chips to water and paper goods and even um, ready to eat meals. And we have delis in some of our uh, convenience stores as well. So we've experienced very heavy, heavy traffic and we're not being able to be restocked as quickly as we used to be. Um, a lot of our vendors are running out of stock. You know, their supply chains are choked because, as you all know, this you know this uh, crisis started up in China, and China has become the leading exporter of you know consumer goods in the past. Absolutely. Decade. 
Um, so it really choked up the supply chain from the manufacturer to the uh, distributor and all the way down to the consumer facing uh, convenience store. Of course. And, you know, I, we've obviously been talking a lot about supply chain. And I think, you know, just to give everyone a you know little glimpse of what that really means, you know, Nick, do, do you mind telling, telling what, you know, supply chain really means it in simple terms? Absolutely. So in simple terms, I'd say it's every step of the process from the first piece of material that goes into a product to POS, like uh, Mayor was saying, from to sale to the consumer. Um, everything in between, uh, all those individual steps from manufacturing, distribution, um, all the way down to uh, retail is all part of the supply chain, which, uh, like Amir was alluding to, has been drastically affected. Each piece has been drastically affected by uh, COVID. Absolutely. And uh, Dr. Mark, uh, I, I'm, I wanted to see, you know, I'm sure supply chain, obviously, in the business world is being uh, drastically impacted. Have you? What would you say is probably the biggest issue with you know healthcare supply chains in general? Yes, absolutely. So aside from the PPE, we're actually having difficulty with obtaining some medications, surgical gowns. Um, you know, my parents use Losartan, which is an antihypertensive medication you know, for blood pressure, um, and we have real worry that they may not be able to receive refills. Um, especially because now it's being investigated as a potential medication to help with COVID. Um, we're actually seeing that there's been a run on hydrochloroquine, um, a medication also known as Plaquenil, which is for lupus patients. And right. we've even had issues where a few healthcare systems um, here in Southern California have been refusing to fill the medication for existing patients with lupus because it's also been another one of those drugs that's been on the list for potential help for COVID. And so, um, you know, even some of the, you know, I have a colleague who she's an orthopedic surgeon like me. She's a hip and knee replacement surgeon in a, in a large HMO system here in San Diego. She couldn't even get a refill of Plaquenil for her lupus and she's a doctor in the system. So, oh, wow. um, so I mean, I find that, uh, ethically reprehensible. Um, uh, and we don't even really have a, too much of a need for the Plaquenil just yet, but I think it's because people have real fears that, that those medications won't be available, um, because they're not, they're, um, you know, pharmacies are not getting restock. Right. And I, 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 you know, I think just going off of that, I mean, do, do you see the pharmaceutical industry playing any role in, you know, disrupting the supply chain or possibly even helping it? I think that the supply chain um, the, is trying to be remedied by by the the companies. The problems are actually goes back to what Amir was mentioning before. A lot of our medications, especially the generic ones, are made in China, and right. so um, the supply chain's been disrupted. And then additionally, now there's been questions about the the safety of these medications. Um, you may have seen in the news that Zantac has been pulled off the um, off the market right. by the FDA. That you know that medication um, is made in China, the the generic form, and so there's been questions about whether or not it's even carcinogenic, meaning causing cancer. And so um, I think that this is going to create a shift once everything is over. With we're going to see um, a huge shift in where we get our pharmaceuticals. I think we're going to start um, bringing a lot more pharmaceutical production back to the United States. Also, you know, using our our colleagues in Canada, Mexico, and Europe to kind of turn inward on creation. Absolutely, yeah, and I, I think you know, from my perspective, what really concerns me as a public health professional is that the healthcare industry itself is so fragmented from 
de the delivery of care to the services that are essential to populations in need, um, you know, the underinsured population, plus where we obtain our drugs and how how they're uh, priced out to people. And especially in times of emergency, when countries may not be able to deliver on certain goods or certain chemicals that are required, it can be a real trouble. Um, I, I think the entire COVID outbreak has really highlighted um, the need for some baseline communication from countries to report, you know, disease outbreaks or, you know, market turmoils that that can ultimately affect the global supply chain, as, as we're seeing now with issues of people not being able to obtain uh, face masks to hand sanitizer to even hand soap. You know, I, there's the joke that, you know, were people washing their hands before and whatnot. But, you know, it's definitely uh, it's not a laughing matter anymore when we have tens of thousands of people dead and, you know, over a million plus people now infected worldwide. This is, it's truly astonishing. Absolutely. I, I think from all three of you, I definitely want to hear what, what solutions do you guys think are possible moving forward? Feel free to discuss that. Talking on the supply chain frontline, I think Mark alluded to this. One solution that we, that we must like, you know, bring to the table is making sure we're not reliant all on China, right? It's, it goes back to the old saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Uh, I mean, two of, the, two of the last pandemics or health crises that have happened in the past two decades have come from China with SARS in the early 2000s and now COVID. Um, so you would think that we would have learned that, you know, we shouldn't move all of our manufacturing or most of our manufacturing to China especially pharmaceuticals, which are so vital to so many people's lives, we shouldn't rely all on one place, right? I think that's a solution or that's something that we, that we must fix and, uh, you know, and attend to. Um, I, think, I think something else that um, our health you know, administration on the federal level needs to account for is why didn't we take more action sooner, right? Um, right. You know, we saw the things happening in China from, you know, December uh, and then Italy got hit. Not, still nothing was going on. I think it didn't really start getting serious until the NBA really. I think the NBA kind of kicked it off. Right. They they stopped their games. And then after that, you got the stay at home mandates from many states. If I'm not mistaken, I think that's the correct order. And then Disneyland shut down the resorts. Um so it, it kind of took one domino to fall for everybody else to follow. Absolutely. Just, it was, in my opinion, it should have been the federal government or the health administration that really said, you know, taking the lead on this and said, we need to do this and do it now before it gets really bad. Right. And I, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, in a public health perspective, this highlights a lack of investment in global public health. Um, you know, I always think where, when people talk healthcare, and I'm sure uh, Dr. Mark has some input on this, is, you know, people think healthcare, they think, you know, I need to see a doctor, I need to get uh, treatment, and that is my healthcare. And we simply know that is not just seeing a doctor and, you know, uh, taking a medication, um, but also, you know, the combination of all the factors from uh that have led up to it with 
no healthcare infrastructure to deal with the surge of patients. Uh, the, there's no reporting between countries. I mean, even here in the United States, we're seeing the reporting of cases to the federal agencies has been lackluster, right? I mean, there's actually no central reporting of actual cases. So they're at, you know, many of them, it's upon them to report, but not mandated to report. And I think that becomes a very challenging thing for the federal government here in the United States to then address what is the best way to shut things down or mitigate the exposure, you know, and additionally, even even so, local local level officials, state level officials, and federal uh, officials, they all operate in such different capacities. It is difficult to deal with that in a time of a public health crisis versus a national disaster or an act of war. And we've spent a lot of time protecting ourselves from from war, from you know outside intrusion, but unfortunately that has also now led to us not being able to take care of our own our very own citizens and i think that really speaks volumes and ultimately i i would hope that it shifts the minds of people going forward to really you know invest in their health um, invest in the public health and you know just betterment of communication as a country um and you know i'm i'm sure uh dr mark you probably have some input on that yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I agree with what you're saying. I, I think really five things need to happen for us to, as a country, and I think as a culture, um, one, you know, stop this from happening and prevent it from happening again. I think like Amir was saying, absolutely turning, looking inward on our manufacturing, um, that way we're not as reliant on other countries for, um, for especially important goods like medicines. And that way we can control for the quality of our goods, because we know that as a country, you know, the United States is the gold standard for a lot of medications and medical practices. And so of we course. really shouldn't be using a lot of the other countries where there, there may be some questions about the quality of their, their goods. Um, you know, the second thing is, is really, as a country, we need to put pressure on the World Health Organization um, and really look at restructuring the CDC. I think CDC, uh, us doctors are, are becoming very critical of them because if you look at their stances on PPEs, they literally change by the way the wind blows. So some yeah. days it's like, okay, you should all be wearing masks. And then a week later, it's okay, you can wear bandanas, but yet this <laughs> disease is, is airborne. And so it's, you know, it doesn't, it's, it just, it shows that we're really not being supported. Um, you know, the, the WHO really needs to be taken to task for this and they need to make a much greater role at, um, shutting down wet markets, which is really where this disease we think started. Um, and, and we know through, throughout the most recent history of the past 25 years that the majority of, um, outbreaks of very severe and deadly diseases have actually all occurred in wet markets. And, um, if you were, uh, listeners are not sure what wet markets are, these are, um, there are live animal markets where many animals are, are in close proximity. Um, most of these animals are not domesticated. And so this right. allows for um, kind of crossbreeding and jumping of species. And so, um, but, you know, for the last SARS outbreak was traced back to a wet market, um, you know, just which was basically the, the predecessor to, to this disease. Right. Um, you know, thirdly, as a culture, we really need to learn about really what social distancing means. Um, while this was all going on, there were still big parties occurring with spring breakers in Miami and in Mexico, things like that. Um, and I course. think people didn't take seriously 
um, you know, how you know, maybe a few days of fun is going to affect you and your neighbor um, right. later down the line. Um, and then, you know, the, the fourth thing I, that I think is really important is, is looking at the way that we practice medicine here in the U.S. Um, you guys may not be aware of it, but that we have, you know, each state has its own way of um, doing their medical licensing. And so uh, as a Californian, uh, I, I can't practice in any other state in the union, even though I've been trained, you know, in the United States. Um, each medical board as a way of making money uh, charges a huge cost to each physician for medical board in that state. So um, I have my medical license in Kansas, Missouri, and California, um, and oh, I had wow. to purchase all those and I have to pay for them every year. Um, I know those are the only states that I'm actually accredited to practice medicine in. Um, it's interesting that that has been completely suspended now due to federal emergency order. So we can practice medicine in any state in the union now on an emergency due to this coronavirus. Um, but in my mind, you know, we should have been able to mobilize that a long time ago. We should, we should have been able to pull doctors to New York and New Jersey, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, a long time ago. And so, and then, you know, which brings me to my last uh, thing. I think we really need to take a look at um, oversight of both hospital administrations and then also the pharmaceutical company. Um, right. I am all for free market economy, but the you know pharmaceutical industries are charging very very high prices and benefiting off the suffering of others, um, and I think that they should make money for what they do. You know the the income that they generate helps promote R and D to make new drugs, but it's definitely reached a point where it's you know not helping others. Hospital administrators as well do little care for patients and little support of the healthcare workers who are on the front lines, but are still taking home full paychecks. So. You know, doctors are getting furloughed now, are losing their 401ks in hospital systems yeah. um, and are essentially working for free. But the hospital CEOs are taking home their full paychecks. And I think that that's also wrong. Yeah, no, that is absolutely devastating to hear. And I, I definitely think, you know, there will definitely be a shift, I think, uh, as a country. And uh, I'm sure there'll be a global shift in the attitudes that are around healthcare and what healthcare really means. I, I can't emphasize that enough, you know. From our pharmaceuticals to uh, you know clin clinical care, I think over the next, definitely in the next few months and in the coming years, we'll see very drastic and hopefully meaningful shifts in improving the overall outcomes. Uh, you know, the U.S. has lagged behind for many years, and uh, you know, key components of healthcare. You know, we definitely have a lot of health issues that don't exist in other countries from diabetes to cancer to, uh, you know, even gun violence, you know, has been considered uh, a health issue. So they're very serious issues. And hopefully we're able to get to the bottom of this once this crisis, you know, starts to alleviate a little and have more, you know, responders and healthcare workers work more efficiently. But apart from everything that's going through chaos right now and things running out and whatnot, I want to obviously switch to a more light topic of what is actually being done now to help fix and remedy this situation. I know a lot of corporations stepped up to help employees, you know, cover costs um, and, you know, not have to pay for certain uh, things like rent, uh, I know has been an issue in the country. Um, but you yourselves, all three of you, um, have been very involved. Um, obviously within your own school, but also the three of you have teamed up to start this project. I think, yeah, we have a lot to learn from everything that has gone on in the country, you know, with 
the toll it has taken on our first responders, our our healthcare workers on the front line. You know, everyone is suffering right now. Um, people have are out of jobs. You know, people have not been able to pay their rent or you know afford their groceries. And I think you know it's it's put the country in a very tough position. But at the same time, despite all the negativity that has been seen, or you know all the situations that seem that are never going to end. As healthcare professionals, as business professionals, you know, I'm sure we always have to see a light at the end of the tunnel. And I, I'm very glad that a conversation like this is taking place because, you know, we're seeing the intersection of business and healthcare. Um, anyone who thinks that healthcare is not run that way, it's it's not necessarily the case. It's it is a it's a system. It has a lot of processes that are involved. And a lot of them have to do uh, pertain to a business. People have to make, you know, a living. Um, bills have to be paid. Uh, science has to be funded. It's a very complex system, but you know, and I think it requires constant effort to upkeep that. Um, this is a great learning example for not only people like yourselves who are. Uh, learning as as you are all professionals at the same time and i think that's wonderful um i'm sure you guys would agree that being in a university environment as well as being frontline professionals definitely plays a unique role now absolutely absolutely i think we're we're lucky that we have uh at least from one my experience at rady school management has been as um we have business school students that come from all walks of life and tons of uh, professional experiences and, um, you know, enrich each other. I, I learned so much from my classmates. Um, and I think, uh, I noticed that everybody has the, the genuine desire to help each other. Yeah. And I mean, just to go off of that point, not only the students, but also the faculty and staff and administration, right. It was like, we, we, you know, started talking about doing something together and all of a sudden we got, uh, jump on from the career center. Um, we have this thing at Rady called uh, Start R and the Center for Innovation and Design, which is uh, made for startups and um, other, uh, you know, business ideas. And they contacted us and, you know, offered their help and services, um, you know. So it's not only the students that are putting themselves out there, it's also the administration. Yeah, just to, just to go off that, I would say, you know, the um, the response from the Rady community in general for, um, you know, this effort to combat COVID has been incredible. The community in San Diego has also been amazing. Um, it's really it's um, eye opening to see that something like this pushes us all together and uh, toward one goal. No, that's great. And, you know, just going off of uh, uh, the efforts that all of you are doing, I know that you all three of you have teamed up to create a wonderful um, opportunity to give back uh, to the frontline healthcare workers. Um, I, I, I've, I've been very glad to be a supporter of uh, your initiative to provide um, reusable masks to frontline healthcare workers. So if you all would please share what inspired to all of you to start that and what can we expect to see out of this project? Yes. Yeah, so um, first of all, I want to say thank you to you and the Pavla Foundation for being so generous with your donations and uh, matching donations of up to $150, which is awesome. 
Um, you know, just to give a little feedback, we started the GoFundMe page uh, um, just about 48 hours ago, and we're now above $2,200, right, Nick? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're above $2,200, um, and a lot of it was from you, and so we really want to thank you um, for your help with Absolutely. that. Um, so, yeah, so like basically what, you know, started it off was, uh, we had just got on spring break when, um, all of this was going on and, um, another student from our class, you know, sent out a message to the entire, uh, cohort and basically was reaching out and trying to see if people wanted to, um, or kind of just trying to push people to do something, you know? bringing our business minds and all of our different expertise and, you know, just together to work on something. Um, And she reached out to me personally and I reached out to her and we were talking and um, this idea kind of sparked in my head of uh, let's go and make 3D printed masks. Um, And so I reached, reached out to a couple different companies um, in the local area that make uh, 3D printed, you know, parts. Uh, I found a design online that was made by a, by another physician, um, and he, uh, you know, made it an open source file for anybody to use. Um, That's incredible. I, yeah, so you know, it's really it's really incredible to see, you know, everybody around the nation working together on this. So. Yeah, I, I took the file and I presented it to a 3D printing um, a manufacturer here in San Diego. And, you know, they took on the role. Um, and then I reached out to Nick and Dr. Schulzel to come on and, you know, try to spread the word, try to reach out to uh, hospitals, clinics, um, the, the Rady School, um, UC San Diego as a whole. Um, and I think Mark has uh, reached out to even... Um, you know, local uh, companies in the area as well. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, I think it speaks to the the strength of our community. Um, we have, uh, you know, the three of us are in different classes, um, but I think we all felt a need to get involved. Um, and I think there was uh, never a feeling that uh, grassroots efforts don't help. Um, we have another concurrent effort going on where our classes have raised um, money to help fund the facilities um, employees who have all been furloughed, who you know take care of us and, and make our experience great at Radius, so that we can actually uh, so we financially support them as well. So um, when Amir called me about the this mask opportunity for our, our public, I thought this was a wonderful um, you know campaign to be a part of. And so now you know we're in the process of um, getting these masks, which are um, you know, they're washable, they're reusable, and they're sterilizable. They're made of a plastic-like substance that can be molded to the face um, and heated. And so the purpose of them is to really magnify how your PPE are used. And so you right. can take existing disposable masks and cut them into squares or rectangles. Um, and so one disposable mask can now be magnified to last for six uses of, of these, um, these, re- these rewashable masks. And, um, you know... It's it's much safer than having a bandana across the face. You know, it's <laughs> going to prevent a lot more particular matter. And um, yeah. and so um, you know, Amir has already uh, contacted and gotten um, our masks up to the Orange County and LA Sheriff's Office, UC Irvine Medical School. We're currently um, you know planning for UC San Diego as a whole, as well as UCSD Health and Medical School 
and we've been talking with all the hospitals in the community and then um, Trader Joe's and Rouse and some other companies in the area to help distribute our masks. Wow, you are, you all are hitting every point there, all, all possible avenues. That's incredible. And, I, you know, I, I think it this just goes to show, you know, the resilience of the human spirit to work together and, you know, really bind together during a time of crisis and help those that are truly in need. And I I can't believe that, you know, you you all have been so successful and, you know, are, are able to provide this. So I know you uh, just started the GoFundMe page a little while ago. Um, and it, the amount you've already raised is phenomenal. And I'm, I'm sure, um, especially once, you know, more people are, come to know the efforts, I, I would have no doubt that they uh, would love to give and help support your cause. But um, what, what type of goal are, um, do, you, do you all need to hit? And, you know, how, how best can we help you achieve that goal, whether it's through giving donations? Do you need any support even distributing these masks? So right now, um, it's tough to say what our goal is. Um, obviously, we're trying to, you know, have as much positive impact as possible on the community. So of course, for now, they, you know, we are uh, sky's the limit, kind of um, trying to raise as much money as possible. That's it to get this mask out. Yeah, I mean, basically, the, the ultimate goal, we're not trying to, you know, right now in our GoFundMe, uh, which has the name of Masks for Our Healthcare Heroes, just in case anybody wants uh, is trying to look it up. Absolutely, and we're gonna we'll we'll definitely share the information oh, uh, how to get how to get linked up to uh, the GoFundMe and um, as well as all of your contact information. Yeah, thank you. That that'd be awesome. But so right now it says a like goal of fifty thousand. Um, uh, but you know, there's no limit, right? It's of if course. somebody needs if somebody needs these masks, we'll give them to them. It's absolutely wonderful what all of you are doing, and I, I'm really glad to see how this project has, you know, done so incredibly well in just the past few days. I'm, I'm sure in the days to come, even weeks, you, all of you will have tremendous support. We're definitely big supporters here at Pav Life, and um, any efforts we can contribute uh, toward, we'll be glad to. But in, in terms of the the mask itself. Um, you were describing it's uh you know how how it could be reused um how, how how does that help the situation as it is right now yeah so uh, i think dr schultz alluded to it earlier um so as a disclaimer this is not an n95 mask it hasn't been um approved by any agency that said this n95 certified or uh, anything like that but okay. what it what it does do and what it is helpful for, because many hospitals are running out of PPE, they're uh, having their doctors use fabric from home or reusing surgical masks, which is you know very dangerous. What this does is it takes one surgical mask or one N95 mask. You can cut it up into about six 2.5-inch squares and use that square as a filter, right? So it basically takes one mask, one surgical mask or N95, and is allow is allowing it to be used for six different physicians or healthcare professionals. Um, or you can take one mask and use it over six different occasions for the same person, right? Oh, wow. um, and on top of that, you know, it's the the material that the mask is made out of is called PLA, 
um, which is the 3D printing material. And that material is a kind of like a hard plastic. So it allows you to disinfect with any disinfectant product, um, alcohol swab. Um, only The only thing you can do is you can't boil it or autoclave it because um, just as Dr. Schultz said, you can heat this up and mold it to your specifications around your nose, your cheeks, and your chin. Um, oh, that, it. it creates a tighter seal. Oh, wow, that's incredible. You, you all wouldn't be happening, happen to be creating uh, sanitizing equipment too, right? Because we definitely need some more sanitizer in this world right now. I, $400 Purell is really not a thing. It's, no, it's funny I mean, you mentioned. It's funny you mentioned that we actually have some UCSD alums uh, who have started Cutwater Spirits, um, who are converting their alcohol production actually into alcohols for uh, sterilization and for hand oh, sanitizing. Wow. Yeah, and they've been actually donating them around the town. So you know, UCSD their their kind of motto is think differently, and and they're really big with our alum doing and students doing grassroots events, and you know that's another example of a, another great success. Yeah, I, I was genuinely shocked to even see that people were using hand sanitizer of all things and masks, especially as ways to really price gouge and uh, restrict uh, this much needed supply to the healthcare workers and especially the people most uh, vulnerable to the disease. Um, and uh, doctor, I, I have a question for you. You know, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, misinformation or not enough information what is the difference between somebody wearing a surgical mask uh, n95 mask who needs which mask and do we need to wear it yeah so um you know i actually spent a lot of time growing up in the far east um, in japan and china and so i culturally i'm used to growing up wearing a mask um and so i think for americans i think prior to this i think people would see a mask wear and and have fear about what was going on. Um, of course. You know, we, you know, in Asia, my understanding of mask wearing is really for two reasons. One is if you're not feeling well to, you know, almost as a res something to be respectful to your community so that you're not sneezing and coughing on other people. And then if, um, and also to protect yourself from others, um, you know, masks are not perfect. Uh, and so right. even surgical, even the masks that I use in surgery, um, airborne pathogens could go through they're really fluid guards, to be honest. So if someone sneezes or coughs and droplets um, can be prevented from getting through the mask into your, you know, the, the mucosal tissue, so into your mouth or your nose or your eyes. Um, the difference between this, the surgical mask and the N95, so the N95 masks um, have much tighter fibers and then they create a seal around the, the face. The, the problem is, is that we we healthcare workers actually have to get what's called fit tested, which is you, right. you put the mask on, they put a bag over your face, and then they spray you with a um, a foul smelling liquid, and we test to see how long it takes for that to pass through, for you to notice the odor. Um, and so, you know, for these mask, and you know, everybody has a different face shape, so you actually have to find the type of mask and the size that will fit you well. Um, you know, I think. Anything is better than nothing, um, but I think that is, you know, a qualified statement in that even some bandanas probably will trap moisture. And so, you know, I think it's better to have some sort of a mask, to be honest. Um, and but I think that the, the more important thing is to truly do social distancing. I think Californians have actually done it pretty well, but um, it's keeping people 65 and over or people with any health condition of the lung 
um, or poor health in general in the house 24-7, have friends and family or neighbors get them groceries, limit, just don't go out for any other reason aside for getting groceries. If you're going to go for a walk, maybe a short walk around your community, but not very far. Um, you know, I, I really don't recommend people going on long runs or running down to the beach or things like that. It's just, you know, uh, we really feel like this disease is an airborne uh, pathogen and so, um, and can stick around in the air. So it's just don't put yourself in any other risk. And then even small gatherings, I think, should be avoided outside of your immediate family that you see every day. So if you live with somebody, that's fine. But, um, you know, going and coming to friends' houses, even in small groups, um, you know, if you think about it, where have your friends or family been? And so you want to limit the number of contacts that you have with other people, you know, and by as many degrees of separation as you can do. And so um, for hand cleanliness, washing your hands is still always better than hand sanitizer. You should wash for 20 to 30 seconds. Pick your favorite song, sing the refrain twice, and that's your, you know, the time to to wash your hands and just practice good hygiene habits. Um, clean your surfaces, clean your keys, your doors after use and things like that. Oh, of course, then that, that, that is very important advice and it cannot be stressed enough. And thank you so much, doctor. Very well appreciated. I'm sure everyone out there is doing their best to take those precautions and please continue following them. Um, but, you know, I just want to uh, make sure um, I reemphasize to everyone out there that's listening is so uh, right now, w- while you are collecting, um, uh, raising funds to get these masks created, do we have a expected timeline of when these masks will be available for uh, distribution and um, the uh, opportunity to uh, how long people will have to donate? Yeah, so right now we currently have 500 of the masks in production. Um, we got a generous donation from HNS Energy um, for uh, 500 masks. Um, 300 of them will be going to uh, OC Sheriff and LA Sheriff. And then about 100 of them will be going to the UCI School of Medicine. Um, And then from the funds that we've raised through the GoFundMe, we can make another 400 masks. And I believe that the uh, the 3D printing company said that they can crank out 100 masks a day. Um, Oh, wow. So so they're they're really in on this effort. And um, it's costing us $5 a mask um, because... The 3D printing company is, you know, is just charging us at their cost of, you know, basically just cost of labor and right. cost of uh, cost of goods. You know, basically they're also in on this initiative, not making a profit. So we're really looking to donate these to the healthcare professionals and um, schools that need them. Uh, so really, we're not looking for any set you know, benchmark, you know, okay. anything, anything will help. Um, there's a, there's a big shortage of masks and this is, these masks are really going to help, uh, limit the waste of these masks. No, I, I, and that's, that's wonderful to hear. And again, I, I commend all three of you for taking this initiative and, you know, any, uh, any dent that you all can make in the shortage of supplies that we're facing, it helps. So, uh, please keep doing uh, your your work, and you know we're we here are are here to support you and all the future endeavors that you decide to take in fighting COVID nineteen. 
Yeah, we appreciate that. Um, you know, we did also want to say for folks who are interested in helping, um, you know, we are will also sell the masks at greater than costs so that if they're willing to or will accept straight donations um, so that we can fund the, the donations of future masks. Um, none of us are interested in really having any profit at all. We're, our sole goal is to distribute as many of these masks as possible. And so, um, so your, your listeners um, or anyone who wants to help can know that they can also obtain masks from us as well. Of course, and we will definitely be helping connect um, everyone to all of you and um, whatever resources we can help provide, we'd be more than glad to. And with that, you know, I, I definitely want to thank all three of you for your time. Thank you, uh, Mr. Amir, uh, Mr. Nick, and Dr. Schulzel. Thank you so much for joining us. And I, I really hope, you know, this is a definite time of crisis. Thank you for all of your service. And thank you for, uh, you know, taking on this challenge that we're all facing. And hopefully, you know, we'll definitely welcome all three of you back on the show, uh, get an update on what what in, uh, what ends up happening and you know also have a talk on a more lighter subject and hopefully more engaging uh in terms of happiness so it's a yeah, tough time and uh this is a this is a great thing that really will hopefully lift up spirits and we're we're going to get through this all together absolutely thank you so much for having us thank you very much i appreciate it yeah thanks Bob. best of luck and take care please stay safe and stay healthy Thanks for joining this episode of Global Talks by Pav Life with Pav and Lohia. Make sure to visit pavlife.com where you can also subscribe to the podcast and read the Pav Life blog for perspectives and news on everything healthcare you simply can't get anywhere else. Share your thoughts on the show by rating the show and by connecting with us on social media. Thanks for tuning in. See you in the next episode.